Good morning, Redeemer. Hey, we are going to jump back into Proverbs this morning. Um, we've been in Proverbs now for several months, um, maybe not, I guess it's been a couple months now. Um, last week, we began looking at the, the, the topic of money in Proverbs, and we're going to be there again this morning. So if you were with us last week and you're tuning back in, I'm um, good on you um, for not being afraid to jump into the money topic, which can always be a little bit hairy. Um, if, if you haven't, if you weren't with us last week and you're picking up this week, would encourage you to go back um, and listen to the first kind of intro sermon um, on money in the Proverbs. And I just want to remind us as a means of a little bit of recap that the, the way we've defined wisdom, the way that Scripture defines wisdom moving forward, and, and that's what Proverbs is. It's, it's a collection of, of wise saying. It's, it's Proverbs. Um, is that wisdom is being skilled at living. And so we're practically looking today at how wisdom will make us skilled at spending, saving, and utilizing money. Um, one of the things about Proverbs is it would be really easy uh, to miss Jesus in them um, and, and to just kind of look at them as, as a practical, here's a list of things to do, here's a list of things not to do, and yet we do not want to miss Jesus, that, that he is the embodiment of wisdom, that wisdom is not simply in what we know um, or in the things that we avoid, but it's found in a person, it's found in, in God himself, um, the man God who walked among us, um, who has rescued us, whose perfect life was in our place, whose death was in our place, and who now lives today because he was resurrected, beating our greatest enemies, that Jesus is wisdom. And so where we turn is to him, and we find him through his spirit, and we find him through his word, but we turn to him for wisdom and how to live life, even regarding our finances. Um, and so just a couple things um, as we continue to recap, um, or being reminded that one, that Proverbs are, they're principles, they're not promises. We live in a fallen and broken world that is not in its ideal state. And so these uh, promises, that we, we, if we took Proverbs as promises, I mean, it would be assuming that everything was, was perfect, and, and they're not. And so because of that, they are principles for how life should go, yet we have to know we live in a fallen and broken world. And so a couple things about finances to begin. First off, money is simply, it's a tool. I mean, it's a useful tool, but it is a temporary tool. And there is a day where it will fade away and where it will be of no use to us. And so it is useful in its, in its time and in its place, but it is temporary. Second is this, the Bible has a lot to say about finances. And um, we mentioned last week that there's over 2,000 verses that refer to finances. And so there are a couple um, opposite ends of the spectrum with the prosperity gospel and this idea that, that God only blesses and only gives good to believers. And then this kind of opposite end of the spectrum that would say that it, we're, we have a poverty theology that we should give away everything, we should have nothing. Um, and then that's the way that we show that we love God. Um, and yet, Scripture has so much to say, and so we want to look at the totality of it and really see those two ends of the spectrum come back to a healthier biblical um, worldview as we look at the totality. Um, the third is this, is that we just want to um, remind ourselves and affirm today that God owns it all, that we are merely stewards of it, that it is His, and He has given it to us to manage whatever it is that we have that's not just money, but that's also our talents and our knowledge and other resources that we have. Because of that, um, 
the way we spend and save money is either honoring to God and worship or it's displeasing and it's sin. Um, there's, no, there's no other way about it that we are either pleasing him or we're not. And so it is very much a discipleship issue for our hearts. Uh, the fourth thing is this, is that money has been corrupted due to the fall, due to sin and rebellion. And so it's, it's dangerous. We see that through greed. We see that through um, power, the struggle for money, the control. Um, and we see that through even envy and, and the lack of money potentially in our lives. Uh, the fifth thing is this, is that Scripture gives us a lot of warnings, and it gives us a lot of warnings about money because money has a hold on our heart, um, and, it, and yet it cannot provide peace. It cannot provide lasting peace, lasting security, lasting stability or control. Um, it can give a, a fleeting example of this, but in the end, just like in the crisis that we're currently living through, it will be shown to, to not be sufficient. And yet, church, we can trust this morning that Jesus is, that he is an anchor, that it stabilizes our soul, that he is a refuge, a rock that we can run to, that he provides lasting security, lasting hope, lasting peace, lasting comfort. Um, and, and money cannot do that. And so we want to see Jesus as better than that this morning. And then sixth and finally, um, the way that we fight money's hold on our heart, the grip that it can have is by generosity. I mean, it's by being generous. And it's not a, a future thing of when I have more, then I'll start being generous. It's a, it's a now situation. That we are generous with whatever we have now, not just later. If you look at 2 Corinthians 8, we see Paul writing about the church in Macedonia, and he references their, their generosity, but he also mentions their extreme poverty. And that their extreme poverty did not stop them from being joyous and giving. And so we do not wait until we have X amount, whatever line you've created that makes you feel comfortable or sustained or in control before we're generous. We are generous with whatever the Lord has given us even now. Um, and that will help fight the, the control that money can have on our, on our hearts. And so this week we're going to continue looking at money. We're going to break it down into a couple of other categories um, and, and look at both the, the wise, the wisdom perspective, as well as the foolish perspective in these categories. Um, and, and I want us just to hear this, that, that what Proverbs is going to tell us is that wisdom is actually better than money. So listen to Proverbs 8, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And so would we just start from that, that place that wisdom is better than money, that money has its place, it's a useful tool, but it is not ultimate, even in this life, let alone in the next. And so, listen, this may sound crazy coming from me. We're actually not even going to finish money this morning. We're going to at least do one more week. Um, I'm fighting against my instinct to try to wrap money up all in one sermon um, because of the way that I'm uncomfortable in talking about it. But next week, we're going to look at greed, um, injustice, and poverty, and work ethic. And so if you're wondering where those topics are, we're, we're going to hit those next week. And so, um, church, as we move into looking at two topics in, under the kind of umbrella of finances this morning, would you just be asking yourself this question? Where's my treasure? Right? Where's my treasure found? So here's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with the topic of savings. And, and what does the Bible 
especially Proverbs, have to say about us saving money. Saving when we know that there's need. Saving when we know that there's people um, who lack. Um, saving when we know that money is temporary. Like, how do we, how do we look at this in a God-honoring way? Um, because some perspectives are going to run and say, hey, we should save it, we should spend it on ourselves, we should hoard it, because in that, as we accumulate a lot, it shows God's blessing on our life, right? Which is just not a biblical way to look at things. And another end of the spectrum would be, we, we should spend it all, and in my poverty, then I'll show God that I love Him a lot. And yet we're going to see that Scripture doesn't land on either end of the spectrum, It's going to tell us and remind us that money is a useful tool and that there's actually wisdom in saving. And so we see this beginning in Proverbs chapter 6 as as they talk about the ant and and commend the ant for its behavior. Listen beginning in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief an officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And right, so the, the Proverbs are simply telling us, like, look at nature, look at the ant who works all season during the summer to store up for fall and winter, when there won't be anything together, to make sure that they have enough for their colony to survive to the next spring and summer, right? That it's commending us to look at this ant, which is saving and storing and looking ahead to the future. A second proverb that we can look at is in chapter 13, verse 22. Here we see Proverbs say, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Right, and so we know that an inheritance um, can be things other than than finances. Um, It can be in in a reputation and a good name. It can be in other things. Um, But we we also know that inheritance can be financial. And so scripture tells us that that a good man leaves an inheritance for, for his children and for his grandchildren. Right, like this idea that it is commending um, a believer and a good man saving and having something to pass on to his descendants. And so um, I, I want to compare this to the fool. Proverbs 21, verse 20, says this Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, right? That he's, he stored it, he saved it. But a foolish man devours it, right? That he has no thought of the future. He has no thought as, as to what is, is going on or what his needs might be, and so he just devours it in the moment, right? And, and the ability to have an inheritance to leave means there was forethought, and there was a perspective of, I don't have to spend all of this, right? There was intentionality behind it. If we look at Proverbs 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent man makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Here we see the Proverbs really kind of comparing and contrasting um, sons with the ant, right? That the wise one is the one who works and puts away, who saves, while the foolish one is the one who sleeps, who slumbers, um, who devours it in, in real time with no thought as to what is coming 
and what their needs will be. And so we see that Scripture gives us some, some biblical precedent for saving as, as to looking to the future and having enough to take care of our needs. But I, before we go into this any, any further, I think there's two caveats that we need to consider to make sure that we, we guard our hearts with. And the first is this, and we're going to turn to James in the New Testament chapter 4. And James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament or the wisdom of the New Testament. And, and James writes this in chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so I think the caveat for us is this, is we we have to say, if the Lord wills. (laughs) That we can have the perspective and the intent to leave an inheritance and then know that, that circumstances of life may mean a shortened lifespan or um, unforeseen circumstances, or a global pandemic that affects the money that we have set aside and stored and saved. And so we can have that perspective, we can move forward in that way, and yet we still have to claim, if the Lord wills, right? That, that it's, it's our intentions um, left in God's hand, trusting that He is good and faithful and in control. We can see this as well in Proverbs 16, verse 9 where it says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right? That we can set forth the plan, the agenda for our life, um, for our career, for our finances, and yet it's the Lord who's going to establish those things. And sometimes it's going to be directly with what we thought and planned and hoped, and sometimes it's going to be a hard right, right? Or a, a direction that we were not seeing coming. And that's where we trust God's faithfulness and his character is good even if things are not going according to our plan, that he is faithful and good and in control um, and trustworthy. And so the first caveat is is that we can save um, if he wills. The second is this, um, is that we want to be obedient. And I want to turn again to the New Testament, this time to Matthew 19. The parable, the story, not the parable, but the story of the rich young ruler. And in chapter 19, verse 21, we see Jesus talking to this man who had had many possessions, and he writes, he says this, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, this is one of the warnings we see about money. Only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so um, what, what I want us to look at here is, is that sometimes God may call us to an obedience um, that is not necessarily the same in finances across the board, right? That there's not this expectation that everyone has X amount and everyone gives um, 50% and, and keeps 30% and lives on 20%. We don't have those sort of percentages. 
Instead, what we see here is, is Jesus is speaking to this man and he knows his heart and he knows his struggle and he knows that his treasure right now isn't in, in God, but it's in his things. And so he asked for an obedience in that, right, to, to release this man from his idols and his treasure and put his treasure in Jesus. And so Jesus may ask some of us to give some of our savings, some of the things that we have held on to, in a way that he might not ask your neighbor. And we don't hold that up as, as a sign of, of, of godly behavior and saying, you should all be like me. We also shouldn't look at someone else who's not giving in that way and assume it means Jesus hasn't called us to this. Um, Jesus called Zacchaeus, right, to give back the things that he had taken. We, we see him calling the rich young ruler to sell much, but we don't see that that is a calling just carte blanche across Scripture that you have to give it all away. And so we want to be careful there that he may call you to some obedience and to, to releasing some things that he's not calling someone in your gospel community or someone in your family to. And so would we be quick to encourage those who are hearing the Lord call them to obedience to affirm that and not tell them that they're being crazy? And would we be willing to be obedient to what God is calling us, that we would ask the question, where is my treasure? Um, one example of this, when, when Carmen and I felt like God was, was beginning to call the two of us to plant Redeemer, um, she had stayed home recently with our, our, our young daughter and was no longer employed, and I was now looking to leave my job to plant a church. And we didn't have really a backup plan. And so we're laying in bed, we're tossing, we're turning, we're wrestling with, is God actually calling us to this? Because on paper, it doesn't make sense. And yet, we were affirmed by the Spirit, by others around us, that God was indeed calling us to this, that we had confidence in that. And what we saw was what did not make sense on paper, what did not make um, logical sense financially that God, in turn, provided um, and took care of our family and has taken care of Redeemer for now almost nine years. And so listen, that does not give us cause to be foolish, right? But it does give us cause to be obedient. And that's where wisdom comes into play, right? That there aren't rules to some of this, but it's, it's looking to be skilled at living, trusting Jesus, walking in community and being wise together as we discern and pursue what is God calling us as a, an individual, as a family, and as a church family to do with our, with our resources, with our money. So, if we're going to save, right, with those two caveats in mind, if he wills, and that he may call us to an obedience that is unusual, right? So if we're going to save, what do we need to do? Well, first off, we need to have a plan, right? And so if we go back to Proverbs in verse 20, sorry, chapter 21, Verse 5, we see this. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Right? And so the thing that we, we, we glean from this is if you're going to save, you've got to have a plan. Right? You have to have a plan knowing how much you have coming in, um, how much you're going to spend that's less than that so that there's excess money to put aside and save, which means you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to make... Um, goals. You're going to have to have priorities. You're going to have to say no to certain things that you could, in fact, buy in order to save and to have something set aside for the future. 
So if you're married, it means you, a conversation with your spouse, right? If, if, you're, if you have children who are beginning to make money, it's, it's having this conversation with them. There has to be a plan in place. Because if you remember, we read Proverbs 13, 16 a moment ago, that every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly, right? That the fool doesn't have a plan and is proud of it. He's proud that he doesn't have a budget. He's proud that he just kind of lives on his whims. Instead of looking and saying, okay, what has God given us? What is it that we can spend to live? How can we be generous? And where is there some money that we can set aside, assuming God hasn't called us to use that? Right? That we need a plan, some intent. The second thing is this. If we're going to save, we have to be reminded, church, that money isn't going to satisfy us, but it will quickly grab our heart's affection. It'll quickly grab our heart's attention, and we'll like seeing those numbers tick upwards, whether that's in a savings account or, a, or, or a, an investment account, that it can arrest your attention. And it's why Scripture gives us warnings that it can stir our affection for things that will not satisfy. And we can begin to see that as the goal, and so we're shooting for a little bit more and a little bit more, and before we know it, where we were simply saving, now where our attention and our affection is affixed on things that will not satisfy. And so it's why we ask the question, where's our treasure today? And are we heeding the warnings of Scripture that wealth and money can be dangerous if we do not see it as simply a tool from God? The third thing is this, is that we want to steward even our savings well. We want to be generous. And so there are folks right now who have um, excess money who in this current um, situation that we're in, this pandemic that we're in, are able to be generous, are able to bless people and and be faithful to what God has called them to because they were planning, maybe not for a pandemic, but they they had some set aside. And so we want to be good stewards knowing that maybe it's not for retirement. Maybe it's not for kids' college. Maybe it's not for traveling. Maybe it's for something else that God would call us to and that we would be good stewards of it and not see that savings is ours, but that we are managers of what God has allowed us to acquire. The fourth thing is this, is I think we also want to be reminded that the saver can actually be the fool as well. And if we look in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says this, Do not toil to acquire wealth, Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Right? It's saying, look, if you're only working towards wealth, right, know that it can just vanish. It can just be gone. Right? We talked about this some last week, that that many are, are living this reality out even now. But we also see another New Testament story. This is in Luke uh, sorry, Luke 12, beginning in verse 16. And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Right? And so we see that this, we, we have to see the totality of what Scripture says, that there is wisdom in saving, and you can also be the fool in saving. And what's the difference, right? That's where wisdom comes in. And what we see in Luke 12 with this rich man was that he had ample. And instead of looking to be generous, instead of looking to see how this, this wealth could be used and stewarded for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom, he was like, well, I might as well sit on it and save it. Right? Instead of seeing it as the tool that God has given him to bless, to minister, um, to honor, to be generous, to reflect the very character of God. And so would we not be the fool even when we save? All of this um, uh, kind of conversation with savings can be contrasted now with debt. And this is going to be the second topic we're going to look at, and we're going to look at it a little more briefly than we looked at savings. But we live in a society where debt is absolutely normalized. The, the oddity would not be in having debt, it would be in being debt-free. That would be the strange thing. And so we have to understand that we're in a culture that just kind of has told us debt is okay, that, it, that it's okay, and, and we're assured of that. And yet, Proverbs is going to give some warnings. We're going to see a couple different warnings in chapter 22. The first being verse 7. It says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. Right? Simply this idea that you are enslaved to the one you owe to. Um, and then in, if we go down to verses 26 and 27 in, in chapter 22. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? So he's saying, like, be careful borrowing money if you don't have anything in, in, to give back or anything even to hope in giving back, right? That there is danger in the things that you need, your necessities being taken from you because of debt. So there are these warnings that we see about kind of worst case scenarios. And yet scripture actually isn't going to unequivocally say that lending is always wrong, right? Which may surprise some of you. So look at a few positive examples real quick um, on lending. The first being Psalm 37, Verse 26, he is ever lending generously and his, children have become, and his children become a blessing, right? That there is one who is lending generously. If we turn over in Psalm to one, chapter 112, verse 5, it's talking about the righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, right? That there's describing this one who would be generous and who would lend um, kindly. We can also see in Deuteronomy, as God is working with the people of Israel. This is chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Actually, in, in Deuteronomy 28, um, 
verse 12, it says, he's talking to the people, it says, look, I'm going to pour out from the storehouses of heaven. I'm going to make you a wealthy people so that you can lend to the nations around you, right? Like they were meant to be this reflection of God's generosity so that they would, the other nations would see and honor and be amazed and glorify God. And then one final one, in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching, and in his parable, this, the, the point isn't finances, and yet he mentions lending, and so he's not condemning it here, and, and this is in verse 27 of chapter 25, um, the parable of the talents, when those who had used them well and had much to, to give back to the master, and then the one who had simply hidden it. And he says to him in verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Right? And he's basically telling him, like you could have at the minimum gotten a little bit of interest off this. And so we see that Scripture isn't unequivocally condemning lending, but that in general it's telling us, listen, it's, it's dangerous that you are enslaved to the one you owe money to, and that mostly we need to be wise in avoiding it. Um, that if we're the ones lending, that we want to be kind and generous to those. And so the first couple thoughts on this as we begin to wrap up, in Proverbs 3, verse 28, he just reminds us that if we have a debt, we should pay it, right? Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Basically telling us, listen, if you owe someone something, pay the debt. Make it right. Um, Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Second is this. Um, Listen, debt is ultimately not a money issue. It's not simply about you having more money and then the debt issue goes away. It may feel like that. It may look like that. And yet we know that when more money comes in, if our habits haven't changed, more money simply goes out. The debt is an issue of satisfaction and an issue of contentment that what it's revealing to us is that there is, there is a lack somewhere that we do not see Jesus as sufficient, that we do not see him as enough, and debt begins to kind of reveal a, a, maybe a problem stirring in us, that we're looking for things, when we're talking about consumer debt, we're looking for things to satisfy and to fill a need or a hole that we have, right? And we're looking for it, and it, and it does it temporarily, it does it fleetingly, but it doesn't last, and so we have to go back to it again. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm sufficient. I'm enough. You can be satisfied. You don't have to compare and compete with others. You don't have to spend to gain approval. I've already given it. You don't have to, to, to spend to gain affection. It's yours. You don't have to spend to gain satisfaction. It's in me. Right? The debt is not just a money problem. It is a contentment and satisfaction issue. Right? And it begins to make it a spiritual issue, not just a numbers issue for us. The third thing is this. Um, listen, some debt due to extreme poverty, um, systemic injustice, uh, maybe the medical system, which can be broken, uh, medical debt, those type of things we're actually going to look at next week. And, and so you may be going, hey, some of the debt I have seems really, um, it's not my own foolishness, it's just a lack of justice. And, and we're going to uh, approach that subject um, next week. And so if you feel like I'm, I'm leaving you kind of hanging here, I apologize for that. We will come back to that. Really what we're talking about is kind of just consumer debt of saying, I just need to have that. I need something more because I'm not content and I'm not satisfied. 
And so there is a lot of, um, when we become aware that it's not a money issue, when it's not a normal thing, when scripture warns against it, the, the first response we may have is just shame, um, of feeling that enslavement to it, of, of seeing the big number and that it feels crushing. Um, I just want to encourage you to ask for help. There are folks, even in Redeemer, who um, have been trained, who are gifted um, at, at looking at budgets and walking through things like that. Um, you do not need to do this alone. Um, this is, does not condemn you. It is not something that you should um, hold in secret or, or, or hang your head. We want to walk in freedom. And, and, and so I want that to kind of be a segue for us is that um, this may feel like a bit of a, a Jesus juke more than we typically do. Um, I hope not. And yet, I think it's hard for us to talk about debt without thinking about the debt that we've all had, a debt with God that we could not pay, that we have sinned against Him, we have rebelled against Him, we have sullied His good name, and we have been the enemies of God. And yet, that Jesus stepped in, right, and undeserved grace and mercy paid for it. Romans 5, 8, that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us at the cross, right? That we did not deserve it, and yet He did it for our good and for our benefit and for his glory and worship. And he's paid it. And because of that, then we're freed to walk, not as slaves any longer, not as rebels against God, but as sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ, that we belong and that we're his, that we have his affection and he has ours, that we have his attention and he has ours. And so then we can be generous. And so church, if you have um, spiritual deficit, debt, because you don't know Jesus, Lord, I invite you to trust him. He is sufficient for you. If you hear him wooing and calling your name, that you would respond and trust that he has done what you cannot do and paid the wrath of God in your place and is alive today, having defeated sin and death and Satan, our greatest enemies. But if, it, if what your need is today is, is financial because there's debt, would you know that you're still, you're approved of in Christ, that you are loved and you are accepted and, and the church family will walk with you in that, to war against this debt that enslaves you, to free you, because the gospel bears fruit. It bears fruit in acceptance, it bears fruit in approval, it bears fruit um, in, in fighting against sin and winning, it bears fruit in seeing even our finances honor and please and worship God because this is a discipleship issue. Church, if we can live as generous people in times like this, if we can be a people that live in the future without consumer debt, it reveals that Jesus is enough, that he is sufficient, that we don't need to find that somewhere else, that we see it as, as merely the tool that it is to bring glory to his name and to be good to those around us. I mean, it doesn't own us and it doesn't control us, that it doesn't, we don't look to it for our satisfaction because Jesus has filled that. Would we be a people who would strive to please God with our wallets? Um, knowing that that is a difficult conversation. And it's, it's going to be a difficult uphill struggle. And it, it's been compounded by the times we live in now. Church, we want to do this together. You're not meant to do this alone. Would we walk together trusting that Jesus is sufficient and enough and good. And that he'll give grace even in our finances. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have something to say um, about wisdom, even with our wallets and our debit cards. God, would you um, 
God, would you just remove shame from those right now who are feeling condemnation? God, that they would be reminded that there is none in you. God, for those who are more aware of a spiritual deficit, God, would you pursue them and woo them and make them yours this morning? Call them by name and make them sons and daughters of the King. And God, as a church, would we be about setting things right and seeing redemption and restoration, um, even with worldly things like money, for your good, for our good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.